We begin a new sermon series this day, and our text for this Sunday is from Ephesians chapter 1, beginning with verse 3. As we approach God's word, you join me in prayer. Prepare our hearts, O God, to accept your word. Silence in us any voice but your own, that hearing we may respond to your love in Christ. Amen. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, just as he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before him in love. He destined us for adoption as his children through Jesus Christ, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and insight, he has made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure that he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to gather up all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In Christ, we also have obtained an inheritance, having been destined according to the purpose of him who accomplishes all things according to his counsel and will, so that we, who were the first to set our hope on Christ, might live for the praise of his glory. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I want to begin with a story from an essay by Devin Kirk called Not My Bones and Not My Blood. He writes this. I'm sort of technically Jewish by blood, but have almost never been to temple, and my husband, Chad, was raised Southern Methodist. Harry, who is four, is adopted. We put him in the Jewish Community Center's daycare because it was down the street from our apartment and because they gave us two rolls of challah bread when we took the tour. <laughs> a few months in, I broke the news to Harry, you know we're not Jewish. Without hesitating, he replied, but I am, giving me a look that was equally perplexed and pitying, clearly disappointed to learn his own daddy was not one of God's chosen people. Actually, neither of his daddies were. Harry's class had a COVID exposure, so we had to go to Walgreens for a test. Harry is at that stage where he rapidly oscillates between autonomy and limp dependence, so I absentmindedly lifted him into the car instead of letting him climb in the back seat, which he prefers of late. Along the way, I bumped him against the side of the car door, and he let out one of those primal screams that four-year-olds specialize in when they have reached their limit and run out of words. 
Despite my profuse apologies, he was not letting it go. At my rope's end, I muttered, man, you are breaking my heart. I want to break your heart, he shot back. I'm stomping it into a million pieces. We arrived for the test and were greeted with the pharmacist with her long Q-tip. And Harry and I instinctively pulled ourselves together the way families do when they want to keep family matters in the family. Him stoic with wet eyes, me nervously grinning. Harry insisted that he would swipe his nostrils five times on each side by himself. I sealed the sample neatly in the plastic bag and slid it through the metal drawer. She told us to have a good rest of our day and we started to pull away. Harry had caught his breath by now and it must have suddenly sunk in that he had been stomping on his daddy's heart just a few minutes before. I want to put your heart back together, he wailed. I pulled into a parking spot. It was pouring rain now and the car was fogged up with feelings. I told him it was okay, that I loved him more than anything and that I was sorry for hurting him and would never do that on purpose. And I knew he was angry and didn't mean what he said. But he told me he still felt hurt. I know. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to bump your arm against the door. No, he stopped me. I hurt in the other part of my body. Your feelings? Is that where you're hurt? I asked, unsure of exactly what he meant. Yes. Not my bones. Not my blood. The Apostle Paul, or more likely someone writing in his good name, in the letter to the church in Ephesus, declares to the church, and to us, that God destined us for adoption as his children through Jesus Christ, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace. Friends, that is an astonishing claim, if you let it simmer for a minute. God intentionally and long ago chose to claim us, adopt us as God's very own family, very own child, for no other reason than for God's own joy. The Greek word that Paul uses in this verse, huostea, huos is the common Greek word for adult son, thesia is like installation, which sounds a bit like a piece of software, but essentially what this is is the placement of a son in his proper place. Now, I want to tread quite carefully here. Adoption can bring up complex feelings, peel back a layer, and there are all sorts of stories of infertility, of questions about birth parents that may never get answers, about the right of a woman to choose, of adoptions whose beginnings and endings are not full of fuzzy, warm feelings. I will say that one of the most sacred moments of my own life was standing in a courtroom as a witness when the judge declared that Harry Thomas belonged to Devin Kirk and Chad Idol though he was not of their bone, 
or blood. In front of a kind judge in a black robe, I stood as witness to their love of that baby. Though Devin and Chad could not know if that boy would turn out to be healthy or kind, whether he would like music or math, who he'd vote for or grow up to be. And I am 100% sure that I felt that sacredness because I love my friends. But if there could be extra percentages, I'd say I felt that way because I'm a Presbyterian. For that scene is the purest glimpse of the doctrine that we are examining today. Now let me first tell you what predestination is not. It is not the belief that we live our lives as puppets, that every moment of our lives is predetermined before it happens, as if our actions were not our own responsibility, as if our stories were a pre-written script. Later in this worship service, our elders and deacons will be ordained, as you heard Nancy say. When Laura Acock was born, was it written that she'd be doing this during her high school years? A decade ago, did God know that Mike Edmiston would eventually be kneeling for the laying on of hands? Does God already know the griefs that these new deacons will hold? Does God know what decisions these elders will have to make? I don't think these are the questions this doctrine seeks to answer. Though yes, absolutely, God is within every moment of our lives. God can bring meaning to every circumstance and redeem every brokenness. But God does not predetermine every step we make. In the Protestant Reformation, theologian John Calvin understood that every part of all of us is overcome, completely overcome, with sinfulness. But that grace shows up and saves us from ourselves. And whatever salvation we know in this life or the next comes only and exclusively from God's abundant grace. Grace that comes to us not because we do anything to deserve it, but because God loves us so much God just can't help herself. And Calvin believed that he was crafting a doctrine of comfort in the midst of great anxiety. I think he was right. See, if, if my salvation belongs in the hands of God who can be trusted, then I am free. I don't have to be in control. I don't have to worry about myself or anybody else. What I get to do is live in grateful response to God's amazing love, live by shining that love back out into the world. It's good news. But Calvin ran into a problem, you see. 
He couldn't help but notice that some people kept acting in ways that suggested that they weren't aware of God's grace in their lives. Theologian Karl Barth wrote that reality, which does not become truth for us, obviously cannot affect us. It will necessarily remain unattested on our side. A word which has no answer. A light which has no reflection. Unrecognized, the love of God in Jesus Christ cannot awake in us a response of love. Calvin just didn't know how to deal with that. So he doubled down. Unfortunately, the only way he could continue to hold such a high view of grace was to conclude that if someone didn't believe in God or didn't live in a way that showed the love of God, well, then that had to be rooted somewhere. He thought rooted in God's will, which resulted in what some call double predestination. Calvin said, God in his sovereignty and for the glory of his justice passed over some people and in condemnation of their sin ordained them to eternal death. The thing is, a life of faith always requires embracing things that we don't fully understand. And with all due respect to Calvin, Forced reconciliation of what doesn't make sense is not faithful reconciliation. Forced reconciliation takes things or ideas or people that can't hold the same space together and warps one of them until it fits. It doesn't work. Listen to the scripture. God has made known to us the mystery of his will, a plan for the fullness of time to gather up all things in him, things in heaven and on earth. All things, even four-year-olds who scream about stomping hearts into a million pieces or grown-ups who do the same thing in their own brutal way. If you notice all the verb tenses in that passage, they're all past tense. God has already done this in the past in Jesus Christ. God has blessed. God has chosen. God has destined, has adopted, has redeemed, has forgiven, has gathered us all up. It is done, friends. Salvation is done. So breathe. If I understand the text, if I understand anything at all, is that we belong. We belong to a loving parent who has chosen us, who loves us, no matter how we might turn out. And there is no power anywhere that can ever change that for you or for anyone else. This is the first sermon in our series. 
Do I have to believe that? It seemed like a good way to start, to reflect on our faith in a new year. And it's no mistake we started with predestination. Do you have to believe this doctrine? No, you don't. God's love of you is not based on what you believe. It never has been and it never will be. God's grace is way bigger than that. But friends, this is my prayer. My prayer is that every bone in our body and every drop of blood coursing through our veins right now will be awake, fully awake, to the love of God so that we would live for the praise of his glory. May it be so.